Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Okay guys, so welcome in this uh, first podcast for the year 2020 for Matters of Fact on ANC. Uh, for today, we have one special guest, uh, his uh, attorney Tony Lavinia. He's known as an environmental lawyer, a human rights lawyer. He also teaches constitutional law. Now, uh, good, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Dean, for this uh, first podcast for the year 2020. Yes, thank you. And uh, Christian, I'm very happy to be to be here in your first uh, podcast. And it's my first time to guest in your podcast, yeah. so I'm even doubly happy because of that. Thank you for joining us. Now, for today, we're going to talk about a very important topic. That's the Magnitsky Human Rights Accountability Act. Now, we started hearing more about this particular act over the past few weeks because of what happened to uh, detained opposition Senator Leila Dilima. But first, let's try to talk about or understand what this act is all about, the Magnitsky Act. Well, to understand this, you have to know about the name. You have to uh, know the person, Sergei Magnitsky, who was a Russian whistleblower uh, who was killed because of his... Uh, um, uh, leaks his um, exposure mm. uh, of corruption in in Russia. And so uh, because of that, um, the first Magnitsky Act was um, uh, enacted by the United States Congress uh, uh, way back in, uh, maybe in even during the Bush period or at least the early period of the Obama. I think the first uh, one was in 2012. Oh, so it's yeah. Obama. Okay, so that, that's the first act that was um, enacted, and that was solely uh, uh, directed to Russians. I mean, uh, the Russians who would violate human rights um, uh, of people like Magnitsky would be barred from the U.S. Uh, or in terms of um, being in the U.S., uh, if they had assets in the U.S., those assets could be uh, frozen. Um, I suppose legal action could be taken against them uh, in that context. So, so, so that was specific to the Russians to who were to behind the, the death of uh, Sergei uh, Magnitsky. Actually, to all Russians, to all that, Russians that were doing the same thing to other people. So it was, it was just, but but just Russians, um, Magnitsky and others. I mean, that are that in in Russia. But and the, then in 2017, uh, the, the American government expanded this death, under a, Trump. A new act now under Trump. Uh, it's called the Global. Magnitsky Act, which uh, uh, applies the same principle of prohibiting people from entering, frozen assets, prosecution for those who uh, commit violations of human rights everywhere in the world. Now, There's a difference between the two. Uh, just to say, but the, the first act was automatic. It has to be, there has to be coverage right away. But the second act needs a determination. Uh, by by um, by the State Department, um, based on credible information, including uh, from its own Congress, uh, that certain acts uh, have been done, and so it's and and then more importantly, the U.S. president has the option of applying the sanctions of the Magnitsky Act or not. That's the that's the the difference. In the first Magnitsky Act, it could it was automatic. It was mm -hmm. mandatory. On the part of the, of the, of the president, the, the president, the executive department. In the second case, there has to be uh, a decision by the president. The president can can have an option not to. But um, if he does not, um, 
he needs to be able to um, persuade Congress the reasons for not doing so, especially if Congress asks him uh, in the budget or to the Senate resolution to actually implement the Magnitsky Act. That, that's the relevance of, of the, the recent developments of the first the, the budgetary provision that, that says the Magnitsky Act should apply to the persecutors of um, Senator Dilima. And this latest, just yesterday, uh, the news that the uh, U.S. Senate uh, has approved a resolution. Yeah, yeah. On, I, I was supposed it. to ask about the difference because there was already this uh, provision in the 2020 budget of the United States uh, giving the option, or not exactly an option, but telling the State Department mm. to bar entry or even freeze the assets yes. of, of Philippine officials or personalities who were behind the detention of Leila Dilima but based on credible information. But now you have another resolution approved by the U.S. Senate basically telling President Trump to go after, number one, those behind the uh, detention, arrest of Senator Dilema, and number two, behind the extrajudicial killings here in the Philippines. Yes. Why do you need to have two? As I said, because in the Global Magnitsky Act, the second act, it is not mandatory on the part of the President of the United States to apply the Magnitsky Act to people outside Russia. It is up to his discretion. But that discretion is limited when the Congress or the House of Representatives or the Senate uh, makes a determination that, in fact, the Magnitsky Act should apply. Mm. Um, so this is just an additional instruction um, to President Trump that he has to apply the law to the Philippines and to, in particular to the persecutors of uh, Senator Dilema. And there was another uh, coverage included. Yes. Those behind extra judicial, judicial killings, killings in the Philippines. That, that, and that's an important uh, uh, thing as well. That's not in the budgetary provision. That's in the Senate resolution. So basically, in essence, if Trump decides not to um, apply the sanctions, apply whatever the, the law to, to Philippine officials, he has to explain to Congress. Mm -hmm. Let's put it to the Senate. Because the Senate already passed the resolution. Okay. And they have to go back to the Senate to say, no, no we're not going to do it because Philippines is an ally, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Unlike in the first provision included in the, in the national budget of the United States for 2020, mm. there was just an instruction. That's a, a self-executory instruction in terms of spending money, right? And so the, the responsibility there is going to be the Senate uh, uh, Budget Committee. They, when they go to the Budget Committee, they would have to show that they have complied with that instruction uh, and local credible information, etc. This is a, a sense of the Senate resolution. Mm -hmm. So the, the and this is therefore the, the the reporting here will have to be the Foreign Affairs uh, uh, Committee of the United States Senate. And President Donald Trump has 120 days to mm -hmm. actually determine and respond to that resolution yes. or instruction coming from the U.S. Senate. Yes. Now let's go to the core of this particular mechanism. Why, in the first place, would you as let's say a sovereign nation like the United States, go to the extent of uh, uh, imposing targeted sanctions on certain officials based on your own determination. Because the common argument is that, let's say in the case of the Philippines, mm. hey, we have our own justice system here. These guys are not human rights violators. But mm. why are you meddling with our affairs? This is called transnational um, uh, litigation, transnational jurisdiction. Meaning to say, um, even when it doesn't happen in your country, uh, 
because uh, someone violates uh, either the laws of your country or the laws of or international law, um, then one's country, wh wherever it is, has the ability to go after that person. But how do you describe um, that particular determination? Is it legal, factual? Yeah, no. This is this is this is this is both legal and factual. The the, the truth is that, and it's it's not it's not new. You know, uh, what's new is that you can now use domestic setting to do it. The Nuremberg Prince, uh, trial, for example, on crimes against humanity, against uh, the Nazis. No? Um, all the crimes were committed in Germany, and theoretically it should have been a German court, right? Uh, but it wasn't a German court. It was an international court uh, put together by the Allies uh, in the war to try those war criminals. No? You have the International Criminal Court for things that happen, domestic things that happen in the country where there's a failure of, of the legal system, then, then the international comes in. This is just like another aspect of that, uh, another way of enforcing uh, human rights law, human rights norms, is you can go after a person that comes to your country uh, and punishes that person either through prosecution or barring that person, expelling the person. So even now, no, I mean, when you have um, uh, a person, um, a Nazi, there, there's still a few, few Nazis, very few Nazis left. Once it's discovered uh, in the United States, for example, uh, you can you can actually um, deport that person. So this is um, the country exercising its sovereign powers. Yes, it's it's, it's over the US, that particular person uh, uh, exercising that. Uh, its sovereign power over a person that comes to its jurisdiction. Why will they come to the jurisdiction? Because they're trying to enter. In the case of the dilemma, you know, uh, the U.S. will not come here and arrest them here. But if they try to enter the U.S., they are already under the jurisdiction of the U.S. And this is one um, way of. Uh, and 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 if they have assets in the U.S., that's under the jurisdiction of the U.S. Uh, so now you are using domestic law to achieve a transnational, uh, I know it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a very wonderful um, legal concept for us in, 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 in human rights. So as a way, you cannot enforce because human rights generally um, uh, through the United Nations, otherwise the United Nations becomes a police of the world, right? It's only in extreme cases, genocide, uh, uh, war, against humanity. Against humanity that the a court comes in. But for individual cases, you shouldn't do that. But can um, I, let's say, challenge a factual and legal determination by the United States? In the United States, you can. For example, uh, I was identified as one of those behind yes, and, and, you, and you entered, right? You entered. Uh, theoretically, uh, um, especially if you've already been, uh, been able to enter. Because the moment you, 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 if you're prevented from entering, then you're not given a visa. You cannot even enter, right? So it's. You cannot go to court and ask the U.S. to give you a visa. Mm. There's no, there's no. Uh, that's all discretion of the of immigration. But if you, um, if you've already entered, and then you're discovered, uh, and then you're arrested to be deported, theoretically you can file a court a, a case in the United States saying that the Magnitsky Act has been wrongly applied to you because you are not, uh, in fact, one of the persecutors of of Senator Dilema. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you can litigate all that you want. If your assets are frozen, you can hire lawyers in the U.S. that, that will try to stop the freezing of your, of your assets. No? Yeah, because and this is a local case of the U.S. already. The moment you enter the U.S., you become under the jurisdiction of the U.S. The moment you, 
you your assets are frozen that already this is already becomes an american case that's the beauty of the magnitsky act it localizes something that's international for your policy reasons and if i may a uh, uh, a good way of understanding that is for us filipinos i i think we need a filipino magnitsky act right now in fact a kuwaiti filipino just like villa vende or something mm. no uh, we, we need an act for her like your or will event the act or named after some Filipino that has been abused or killed in the in the Middle East because there's been quite a lot in, in the last 50 years, right? So um, what what we need, we, we're helpless when a Filipino is killed. But, we but have to rely on the on the police and on the on the um, uh, prosecution of the county where they were killed, right? But what difference would it make, a Magnitsky Act for the Philippines? Let's say in the case of if, OFWs. For example, if if the if the um, abuse was facilitated by an illegal recruitment firm, by a recruitment firm, sorry, that's based in, in the takeaway, right? Um, and that firm, you know, has assets in the Philippines. For example, it's a, it's a it's a big recruitment firm, uh, or uh, you know there 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 are I know that there are there are people in the people in the business who would be flying in and out of the Philippines to bring look for look for um, uh, domestics to bring to bring there. Then you could bar those people from coming in, uh, and you could even arrest them if they came in. And 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 if, if you have a Magnitsky Act which allows you to to do that, then you can do that. You have now localized uh, what is supposed to be usually only uh, can be pursued in another country. That's it, this is this is actually the internalization internalization of criminal law, internationalization of criminal law. Um, because criminal law, as a rule, the first thing we do. I used to teach criminal law. And the first thing I used to teach is it's a territorial law, right? It applies only to your territory. Uh, you can actually commit a crime anywhere else in the world and come back to the Philippines and and you know not be responsible unless there's extradition uh, unless there's extradition and unless you have something like the magnitsky act or it's a violation of human rights and things like that uh there you i would say you would have options even now without the magnitsky we would have options to to do many of these things i mean um but in this case uh, dean how do you avoid the magnitsky the global magnitsky human rights accountability act from being let's say abused by one particular country. Because again, it's up to them to determine whether you are a human rights violator. Mm. But what if you have your legitimate defense? Well, then then you, you have to you have to pursue that in those in that country or you know, my obviously my suggestion is don't even go to that country anymore. B because uh, it's uh. one thing to be board entry, but it's an entirely different matter if For your us. assets are frozen. Yes. But you can defend that. You can defend that, right? <laughs> you can defend that. You can defend that in uh, no, in um, in uh, in court there. That's a judicial process, the freezing of assets. No? So that means you have an option when it comes yeah. to these targeted sanctions imposed on you. Yes, you can defend that. But you know the preventive measure here is not to commit the human rights violations. That's really what it is. What this court, what this law says, and my understanding is Europe will pass this law also yeah. and. And Australia and, and many countries, as I said, the Philippines should pass a law like this. What it says is that you cannot run anywhere um, if you commit human rights violations. No? 
Uh, what this does is just formalizes things we're already doing. In the Philippines, we, we can prohibit abusers to come in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at, at the airport, we can do that. The, 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 um, the Immigration Act already gives you that power to, to, to do that. But what it does, what the Global um, uh, Human Rights Accountability Act, the Magnitsky Act does, is to uh, give that message that human rights is a number one priority and people that are harassed, persecuted, killed uh, because of human rights and because of poli political, for example, dissent, uh, freedom of the press, uh, uh, basic civil rights like in the extrajudicial killings, you are forewarned. So basically this, this clarifies the lines within and among countries those that respect human rights, yes, international law, and those countries that don't. Yes, so that's, what, that's what it is. Because even without the Magnitsky Act, the U.S. can do all those things they already they can do, right? But what it does is to highlight this. And it also gives, in the U.S. context, it gives their Congress uh, the ability to <coughs> get involved uh, through like the Senate resolution, mm -hmm. which to me is a determination by the Senate of the factual and legal aspects of the case already. So that means given this resolution by the Senate, the executive has no choice, technically? Uh, no, it has a choice. They have but, no choice. But, but they, have to be, they have to do their own due diligence and contest the Senate conclusions that that is not the case. I, I was uh, listening... And that would be very difficult for them, to, to be honest. I, I was listening to the speech of the senator in the United States who sponsored the resolution. I noticed that there were certain words that somehow... It appeared to me at least he misused mm. because I think he used the term sentenced to three years in prison. So, of course, we know that the uh, yeah. case is ongoing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, this particular uh, misuse, for example, can also be used by, by, by critics of uh, Senator DeLima to of say course. that even your basic facts are wrong. So, why would we go mm -hmm. to the extent of uh, imposing these targeted sanctions? Yes. Yeah. Well, th th that, that's a. Uh the, you know, facts like that would have to be to be clarified. I didn't see it that way. I mean, I, well, sentence that didn't mean sentence. It just means she has been in prison. She has been in prison for for three years already for a thousand days. That's what. That's how I understood it. So, so here, when you talk about the global Magnitsky Act, it's better if you have more like-minded countries that would uh, adopt their own Magnitsky Act and yes. somehow you, you tighten the noose. Yeah, the idea is no exit, no entry isolate the human rights violators uh, so that way uh, you know you're able to enforce human rights all over the world now here in the Philippines we're talking about high public officials in the Philippines because you're talking of those who were behind mm -hmm. allegedly the extrajudicial killings and the detention of Senator Dilima mm -hmm. now in reality do you think this would actually be implemented imposed and how strong will it be how strongly will that be imposed those sanctions um I suppose I, there is no doubt about for me about the human rights violations and the findings. Uh, it might not be as stark as the Senate resolution, but you will see that that the violations have have happened. I mean, I, I uh, this is unanimous on all human rights organizations of the world no? and of the Philippines. So, so there, there is no no question about that. So for the United States, for the president, particularly for the State Department, 
this is more of a, a decision here is whether they want to take the they will not defend Duterte. They have done the same. The, you know, they have done the findings, uh, Christian. No, uh, we have not been able to get U.S. Um, uh, additional U the MCA grant, for example, Millennium Challenge Challenge account. We have not because we do not pass. We cannot in any way pass anywhere in the world uh, an assessment of rule of law. Yeah, you're referring to the Millennium Challenge Corporation uh, which one, yeah, grant, basically. Grant. We were which which we had gotten under Pinoy, we were supposed to get a new one. We've been assessed a couple of times, and all every time, you know, we, we do well in many other things, especially related to the economy. But rule of law, there is no way this country can pass yeah. any, 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 any kind of assessment on rule of law. I, I think uh, that, that that's one of the uh, issues, and not just for human rights, but for other things as well, like contracts and and things like that. There's there's just no way, uh, and it's not the judiciary; it's a, it's the executive branch. I mean, uh, the judiciary is a mix. A record, but the executive branch has not doesn't have a mixed record. They just violate the rules. No? I mean, uh, on on they just violate the rule of law. Now, so in terms of mm. imposing these targeted sanctions, because there are two options available to the United mm. States government: bar entry and uh, freeze the assets. Mm -hmm. Can you actually just bar entry to a person behind, let's say, the detention of Delima without necessarily freezing? Yeah, his those or are two different actions, right? And it all depends if there are assets worth worth uh, worth uh, freezing. Usually, you you bar you freeze the assets when they are significant, when they're related to co the corruption. That was also the context of the Magnitsky Act. You know, this is not this is not punitive. You have to remember, uh, this is not punitive. This is uh, this is this is not a this is not uh, a punishment. I mean, uh, because there's no prosecution here, right? I mean, is it preventive? This is preventive. You, we don't want you in the U.S. If you are a human rights violator, we don't want you in the U.S. So let's we say we don't want money that you have stolen to be in 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 the U.S. Right? So, um, so let's say I own a house in Las Vegas, for example. It doesn't. I, I would doubt. I would doubt very strongly if they would they would go after a house. It's, okay. It's very expensive to do freezing of assets because it's essentially eventually will go to court, right? And you so, will have to spend as yeah, the government. Yes, you're, you're talking about significant uh, amounts of property and amounts of of money. But I, if if I go back to that that point about um, about um, about why we we have this act, I mean, it's it's a way of uh, imposing on people certain norms that they. We expect them to to act on. I mean, and 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 now it can be enforced domestically. And hey, it's 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, even a wonder why people are still need to explain the importance of human rights, yeah, especially exactly. given the context of the Philippines. You're one of the prime movers. Exactly. Of the U uh, human rights I, declaration. I just remember what I wanted to say about the strategic part here. The strategic. There is no question, as I said. That there's already determination. The State Department comes out with human rights reports every year, yeah. and it, it, it the, the you know it, it mentions the war against drugs all the time, uh, and and so let's be clear about that. That determination has already been done by the State Department, in but, my view. But who will be covered? But it's a, yes, they will have to determine who to cover, and also more importantly, uh, is it going to be in the strategic interest of the U.S. to? Uh, because there will be consequences yeah, precisely. if, they, that, if that, they do that. That's so. actually my next mm -hmm. point. How mm -hmm. do you actually see this uh, action by the U.S. Senate 
by the State Department later in the future, how would these somehow affect Philippine-United States yeah, relations? That's, well, that's what we need to see. It's, it's been under stress, but the reality is we have very good military relationship up to now, very good economic relationship, very good development cooperation relationship. At the level of the president, he insults them, he shouts at them, he curses them. But at the level, the working level, it's actually very good. That that is my personal experience, as well in observing all of these things and also in, in having my own engagement, right? And I but this could change because of that. I mean, he, like, uh, you know, worse things is to throw away the to expel the ambassador, right? I mean, uh, who's a very good person, very, has managed the relationship very well, including with with the president and the, the ambassador of the U.S. is perfect right now was the perfect person to bring to the Philippines to to deal with a, with le someone like Duterte and because he knows you were referring to Philip Goldberg no no, no no the, the current the current uh, ambassador Sung Kim Sung Kim is the perfect person to deal with Duterte because he's humble uh, he's constructive he's Asian and he manages um, his communication well yes uh, perfect um, uh, so it, it's gonna be uh, jarring if they expel someone like him right because they why would you expel someone like him? Yeah. Um, I mentioned Philip Goldberg because he was uh, one of the subjects of the attacks of yes, then incoming yeah. president uh, uh, Rodrigo mm, Duterte. Mm, yeah, I yes, I know, and and that was terrible. I mean, he had he was a good man. Also, I worked with him on climate change. I mean, so uh, he didn't do anything that was really uh, beyond just doing what is decent in terms of comments on women and politicians, etc. Right. Um, now, regarding DND. So, but the, the, the ally, it's, it's, I think the key is, the, I think the economy doesn't matter too much, even developing cooperation is too much. It's a military relationship, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think Duterte has to think twice about that because the truth is our military likes to work with the U.S. military. It's a very tight relationship. Because right? of interoperability. Interoperability. And, I think and, the, and the China thing. I mean, that's a, I mean, I think there's enough people in the military that, consider China as a major, our major threat. I think there's another law in the United States which, if they choose to do so, they can also apply in the case of the Philippines, the Leahy Law by Patrick Leahy, mm -hmm. meaning restrict, restricting resources to countries. In the past, in the context was, if the country was run by dictators, why, mm -hmm. would, be, why would be fund the law enforcement agencies or military or security mm -hmm. agencies? I don't think that's ha actually happening already here in the Philippines no. because you mentioned the military engagements remain. Yes. Okay. Now, how soon do you think uh, this targeted sanctions would be applied in the case of the Philippine officials? Because again, we have two options or, or two actions: the one by the U.S. Senate mm. and the one by the U.S. Congress in the national budget of the United States. They both point to targeted sanctions. In the U.S. Uh, Senate resolution, the President Donald Trump is given 120 days. Mm -hmm. But can the provision in the budget already be applied? I think to come earlier, um, I just think that it's just that there's this destruction on the impeachment and uh, of Trump, and of course the the hopefully the the tension with Iran will now uh, subside and escalate. So uh, with that, um, maybe things will will move faster in I would say February or March. Um, I'm sure now. The, the work on determining who's responsible uh, is already going on. 
I know that Senator De Lima is already taking the first step of submitting her own names, but she said that you know she won't disclose those names uh, because it's up to the State Department to do so. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about certain personalities because uh, sometimes it's. Mm. I remember in the previous interview you mentioned it's not rocket science to determine the Philippine officials behind the detention, arrest, mm. and detention of Senator Dilima. But yes. what about those behind the extrajudicial killings? Number one, for example, Senator Bato de la Rosa. Mm-hmm. He headed the Philippine National Police, mm-hmm. the frontline agency mm-hmm. that implemented the drug war. Mm-hmm. Now he's now a senator. Yeah. So. Does it go without saying that he would be covered by these targeted sanctions by the United States? There will have to be a link between the policies that he pushed, the Tokhang itself, uh, as a policy, which is, uh, by the way, um, in the Supreme Court. I mean, I don't know Nado who took the case because that was under Justice Carpio, so from what, if I remember correctly. So uh, that... That is the heart of the case. The Tokhang itself is a policy that led to extrajudicial killings. He'd be responsible for that. So if, if there's a determination that in fact Tokhang uh, as a policy, there there are there are general orders on Tokhang. There are documents, executive orders on Tokhang. Uh, so with respect to the Rosa, it would have to be that because unless you can show he ordered people to kill and he's he himself, deba. But, but, but does the United States have to go that far? Because you're talking of the pr- process in the Philippine Supreme Court. But if you are the United States, do I need to go to that extent? The, well, the United States would have to determine whether the... To, for the Bato, I'm talking about Bato. Yeah, yeah right? for Bato. For Bato, they, have to, they <coughs> would have to determine that... Uh, no, they have to determine that that, that uh, for extrajudicial killing, that, that that policy led to extrajudicial, led to ex- extrajudicial killings. That's, that's separate... As I said, they, they have nothing to do, they can't say anything about our legal system. They have to determine that themselves. I mean, uh, so with their own due diligence. What, that's what, what's required there is due, is due diligence, same way with the Lima, what's required is due diligence to, to look at what were the steps that were taken, what were the measures that were taken that led to, to her detention for a thousand days or more. Um, Meaning it doesn't have to be proved beyond reasonable doubt. No, no. Because it's not a court of no, law. No, this is administrative. Mm-hmm. It's administrative. It's investigative. There's no no need to have that proof. And because you're not imprisoning anyone, you're just saying you cannot come to the U.S. if you are implicated in in any particular way to this, I don't know, to, to these killings. Um, now, the elephant in the room is, of course, President Rodrigo Duterte himself. Yes. Assuming that he's planning to go to the United States. Yes. Uh, first, I assume he won't. Secondly, if he goes, he's, it's because he's invited. That's what I said. Uh, if he's invited, I'm not even sure he needs a visa, actually. Yeah. If you are, uh, But probably you do, because I know for, for sure when you enter uh, the United Nations, to go to the United Nations General Assembly every September. I know you, people get visas because they can actually be refused visas also. But it's it's a courtesy visa, right? But so if it's a state visit, they, of course, they, they, yeah. all courtesies would be extended. Yes, to that, that's already automatic. There's no there's no, there's no uh, question about that. So, so what's the point but, of, let's say, imposing but, this on Duterte? But, well, it won't be imposed on Duterte. I don't think it will be at all. Uh, also, as a matter of courtesy for, for them. I mean, um, I I I doubt very strongly if if they would they would uh, they would do that. Um, 
even in the Dilema case. How about the lawmakers, former and incumbent, who actually that's, vilified that's possible. Senator Dilema during that's the possible. congressional hearings? That's possible because, uh, because it's not the vilification because that can even say covered by parliamentary privilege, covered by freedom of speech, right? But it's that it's part of the conspiracy that led her to prison. That that's what that's what makes it. Uh, uh, that it it needs to be shown that these are all part of a conspiracy, part of a, a plan, a systemic plan to put her and keep her in prison. You, so, have, so, you have to be able to do that. So that means people like. Uh, Duterte's spokesman Salvador Panelo can, can also be, be covered. Because of that, because I, I spoke with him last week. I asked mm. him precisely about this. He said, why would I be covered? I was just uh, expressing the views of the president because my job is mm. the president's spokesman. Well, if, if she stick, stuck to that, then that's fine. But if he, he, he went beyond that, uh, then then he could be covered. Okay, so, so basically, more or less we already... It's not hard to find or identify these people. No, no. Uh, as I thought, told you in my other interview as well with you, is you know, uh, you look at the UN Working Group. There are also no names there, but there are positions. There are, you know, and and they're very clear. They're very clear that that this is all, you know, part of a whole conspiracy, systemic way of undermining her credibility, independence. So to put her in this place. Okay, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, Dean Tony Lavinia is referring to the United Nations Human Rights Council working group working on, groups on uh, findings on the arrest and detention yes. of uh, the working Dilma. group on arbitrary detention. detention. Their finding is that it was an arbitrary detention. What's happening to uh, mm -hmm. Senator Dilima now? Mm -hmm. Now, and by the way, the same group had found. Uh, a yeah, I think it also found the same thing for GMA, if I'm not mistaken. The problem is Malacanang, for example, is very dismissive of the findings of groups like this because, as I understand it, this is a working group composed of human rights experts, mm -hmm. meaning they have independence. They're not necessarily some propagandist uh, acting mm. on certain propaganda being uh, spread against a particular person. No, they're experts. They're experts. In the, an important thing for them is they're independent experts. And let me just um, emphasize this, uh, Christian. Before the Duterte administration, the Philippine government has consistently, completely supported all the activities of these experts, the activities of the Human Rights Council. Even President like GMA invited rapporteurs to come to the Philip Philippines. Philip Alston. Yeah, Alston. Uh, we have always been an uh, advocate of the system. So... At least, I'm, I'm not going to criticize our diplomats today. They're, they're doing their job, so I, I like them. And, and they're just I following the them. orders of the president. Yes, but I just want to say that as a country, this, we are right now in a, uh, in a twilight zone on human rights. And let's, 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 let's accept that. Let's accept that. I mean, accept that that's the case. Not accept it that, that it happened, you know, but accept that, characterize it properly. So when you tell me that, uh, or when you when someone says, um, you know, the Human Rights Council is doesn't make sense, the 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 uh, no, it has uh, no. I teeth, can no uh, no, uh, no not, not so much that that that, that it's it's uh, it's uh, uh, they should not be believed that they, they you know. It's also composed uh, of human rights violators. You, I can give yeah. you lots and lots of statements we've done in the past. Yeah, 
uh, and that is the real Philippine policy, in my view. Uh, diplomacy on human rights. We're one of the best in the world in, in human rights diplomacy. Uh, and I think after this period, we'll go back with a bang uh, yeah. very clearly. And I think that's one of the problems because uh, we were seen as the uh, somehow super superstars when it comes to policy and mm. legislation and human rights. Yes, because of our experience under Marcos. Yeah, but then again, you mentioned that we are now in the twilight zone. We're in the twilight zone, but it, it, won't, it won't be forever. Nobody's in the twilight zone forever. Now, this particular exchange also happens when it comes to the Human Rights Council because usually the argument is that you guys are coming up with resolutions against, against certain countries, but... The Human Rights Council is also composed of countries with a very miserable human rights record. They can also use that argument against the United yeah, States we'll if they impose this. Of course, of course, and, and and legitimately, you know, because no country is perfect. Uh, and I, I would criticize the United States uh, for human rights violations committed there. Uh, but if that's going to be your attitude, yeah. then we will might as well abandon all human rights conventions, all human rights yeah. treaties, right? Because no country is perfect. Even yeah. the, the Europeans are not perfect on human rights. We know that. But at least there has to be a policy and there has to be enforcement and of this enforcement, policy. And enforcement has to be international and domestic. Now, how do you think should the Philippine government respond to this? Because based on that particular provision in the uh, national budget of the United States, the response immediately of President Duterte was to bar entry to at least three U.S. No. senators behind that particular no. move. No, it, it's, it's silly because all, it's the, 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 in fact, the, the, your question, the government doesn't have to respond. It's these individuals who, because this is not the directed, it's not the Philippine government that's being directed. But you know, the president, he responds. Oh, well, <laughs> that's up to him, but he's not the <laughs> government. You know, uh, what, no, what I'm saying is that he, the, the, the Magnitsky Act, was enacted not to go against governments. But to individuals. But individuals, because human rights violations are committed by individuals, diba? in this context of the Magnitsky Act. But do, you think uh, that, but do you think someone like President Duterte actually differentiates between government and well, individuals? Well, that's a problem. He doesn't differentiate between himself and the Philippines, right? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and the, but, the, but we should be told that the, these two things are different, right? So when, when for example, if... There's, of course, the other elephant in the room, the International Criminal Court. Yeah. If a case proceeds there and he's indicted, it's not the Philippines being indicted. It's him. You know, It's not the Philippines that will... That, that, in fact, it's not the Philippines that should send lawyers there. It should be him that hires his own lawyers. Uh, that's what um, people accused in the International Criminal Court does. It doesn't have to be someone from the Philippine it, government. It, shouldn't, it, it can be, but it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's much better off. He hires foreign lawyers that are really experts on this. But in this um, case, given that uh, congressional action in the budget, already the response, there was already a threat coming from Malacanang mm-hmm. that we'll, they're going to require visa for mm-hmm. American citizens yeah. if they actually implement and, that. And you know, of course, that that will only, uh, that will only um, backfire on our tourism and on our balik bayans. Uh, uh, not dual citizens, so dual citizens are okay, but there are many Filipinos who are not dual citizens, many Filipino Americans who are American citizens mm-hmm. and have not applied for dual citizenship. So they'd have to apply for dual citizenship, otherwise they will be. But that's my understanding. There was a statement that said, but Balikbayans will be ex- exempted. Actually, I was wondering regarding uh, but that. But how then. would you, how, 
If you're a dual citizen, no problem yeah. because you have a passport, yeah. right? But if you're not, a, uh, you don't have a dual uh, uh, a Philippine passport, you're an American but with Philam roots, with Phil root, Filipino roots, right? And you enter. How will you prove that you're a Filipino? Right? That's precisely the point. So that's why when, when the Malacanang announced that, I was it's wondering. Silly, silly. Oh. Hey, it's, a, it's one of, again, I said the, it's not the Philippine government being attacked. It's the individuals. That's why, by the way, I, I've been very clear about this. Based on my understanding, based on my reading, the Supreme Court will not be covered by this. Um, Are you referring to the members of the Supreme the Court? Members that the members of the Supreme Court that, that voted, no. In first, favor of. First, the very fact that it's a vote is, is a big thing. That means there's deliberation, they were rational, they were, you know. I mean, some were wrong, some were right, but it, but but it's a deliberative process. Okay, there is no conspiracy there. Yeah, for the understanding of uh, our mm. uh, li listeners, uh, Dean Lavinia, you're referring to the 9-6 vote by the Philippine Supreme mm. Court that kept upholding the, the arrest warrant issued against Leila Dilima. That kept her in jail. Yeah. Uh, I would say not even upholding. It's just more that they did not have the votes to have her released uh, because the, the reasoning there um, is mostly procedural. And in terms of the substance, the arrest warrant, the, the validity of the charges, it's a divided court. There is no majority for a particular framing of, of the of the uh, no no. So and, and just for context, mm. because the issue there was whether the uh, jurisdiction should have been with the ombudsman so, and legal by later on, which means that whether the case was bribery, trafficking. Uh, conspiracy to, to traffic, things like that. No? But in this case, it was a Montenlupa City Regional Trial Court that issued the arrest warrant, mm. and the ruling by the Supreme Court was that that was a legitimate uh, no, arrest warrant. That the, Not necessarily. The, no, no. The, the ruling of the Supreme Court was the main ruling of the Supreme Court is that Senator Delima should have appealed first ah, to okay. motion for recon, court of appeals. So it's procedural. It was really procedural. Okay. That's, well, that, that's the majority. And then on the substance, uh, five, four, or out of the nine, six, three, it was not a majority, mm. had, a dif had different theories. That's why, that's why Justice Carpenter said it was the grossest injustice that the court has done because, or that, that has been done because Senator Hakonsela de Lima defend him herself. If the prosecutors do not even know and the, the justices don't even know what the charges are that are being filed against her. Okay. Um, but my point is that, as you can see, it's so technical, complex, yeah. right? It's very hard to, uh, unless you paint it with a very political lens, yeah. it's very hard to say that there's a violation of human rights and, and, and that the Supreme Court deliberately joined that. So I, 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 I think the Supreme Court will not be included uh, in any kind of sanctions mm -hmm. on that's that's what they stay related. Despite the impression by some that uh, they somehow just supported this position of the president yeah. against the Lima. Yeah. By the way, uh, just for disclosure, uh, Dean uh, Tony Lavinia is part of this committee for the freedom yes, or release. Yes, I am convener of the freedom, uh, free free senator la la committee. Okay, uh, but I'm there as an independent, mm -hmm. uh, not as an academic. Um, I've always said this is not political for me. When, Senate, when President Arroyo was arrested, I fought that also. I criticized that. All, and Delima was all a party to that. Yes, yes. And we were friends, but I said she was wrong about this. Pinoy was wrong about, about that. It was arbitrary, uh, it was arbitrary detention uh, as well. No? Yeah. And the same with extrajudicial killings. Uh, and the same with killings. I mean, I'm against also the NPA killing soldiers. No? 
so I think a human rights advocate has to be consistent um, regardless of who the victim is and who the perpetrators are. It doesn't matter. And there's also a lot of questions regarding the legitimacy of the case itself against Senator Delima because number one, they're raising issues against the testimonies. They came from convicted mm -hmm. criminals. Of course, it doesn't mean that criminals cannot tell the truth anymore. No, but, but, but this the, is consistent. And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, all the witnesses so far that have come against her have been essentially viscerated, in my view, in, in the trial. I mean, uh, uh, our problem here is, as you know, many of the judges have been uh, inhibiting themselves, uh, are recusing themselves. Um, and uh, some have good reasons, I'm sure. I'm yeah. not going to say everyone was afraid. But from a purely logical point of view, I, I wouldn't want to be a judge in a case like this because you know, uh, uh, either way your rule could, could have an impact on your career. It's very but I, I, yeah. I do not know the judges, and I hope that we can still get justice from the judges who have remained. And before we, we end, I think it's also important to point out this perspective coming from the camp of uh, Senator DeLima. The fact that uh, why would you have an RTC, Regional Trial Court, uh, issue an arrest warrant and not go to the Ombudsman? It's because of the issue of bail, right? Yeah, they just wanted to keep her in jail. That's it. Because uh, all that, all, all that they, uh, all the facts that they allege, including by those, ano, those uh, drug lords, is that Senator Dilinema came to them to ask for money for her campaign. Allegedly, you know, allegedly for some favors. Um, there was not any single testimony that said that that she was part of a drug gang or a trafficking gang, a drug trafficking gang. There's no drugs that have been usually... The evidence itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the best evidence, <coughs> in fact, an essential evidence of any drug case is the drugs. Mm -mm. If you don't show the drugs, <laughs> there is no case, no? Yeah. Basically. Uh, in fact, you have to show the, the chain of custody of the drugs. Yeah. You have to show that the drugs came from this person, the person, you know, that, 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 that has to be shown. And there's nothing there at all. Zero. Yeah. As in zilch, zero. But on that note, uh, Dean Tony Lavinia, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Pleasure. Uh, I hope it can happen again. And that's it for this week's episode. Catch us again next week for another edition of the Matters of Fact podcast. Mm -hmm.